Well, wherever you are around the state, I'm grateful you're taking the time to be with us this morning at uh, our third microchurch service in this coronavirus era. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 15. I want to take some time to let ourselves engage with Jesus' words in the last of his I am statements in the book of John. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles and you've just got your smartphone, then pull up the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, and you'll actually find in the events section in the YouVersion Bible app all the sermon notes. And uh, if, you, if you don't have a smartphone or you, you haven't found your way to the YouVersion Bible app, the link to the sermon notes is on the online page at uh, Citywide Hobart. So you'll see the, the link there. So John chapter 15. Now, uh, as we come to this, it's important to realise that this is Palm Sunday. This is uh, the start of the most important week in the Christian calendar. And it's the start of a, an interesting moment in the story because on Palm Sunday, we see a whole lot of people coming together with what looks like religious enthusiasm as they line the streets and say, save now, save now, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. On Palm Sunday, though, we commemorate this moment where Jesus is rightly being praised in the context of knowing that that religious fervour from so many people was about to evaporate like that as the going got tough. Sometimes life isn't simple. Sometimes life doesn't go the way we want it to go. And uh, for most of us, this is such a moment where it doesn't feel like life is going the way we planned it to go. I don't know if anybody on the face of the planet would have imagined a year like we're currently having. That's why I think John chapter 15 is such an important chapter to come to this morning. Let's read the first couple of verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. What's Jesus saying here? In many ways, he's explaining uh, to his followers why sometimes things aren't simple, why, why sometimes God lets us go through difficult moments. I uh, have uh, one of the first Bible verses my mum had, had passages that my mum had me uh, remember as a kid was Psalm 23. And one of the things that struck me then and stays with me now is this moment where David writes, he leads us along right paths for his name's sake. And then the very next words are, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. One of the challenges for many of us to come to terms with 
is that sometimes the right paths are the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes it feels like we're being pruned, where stuff that we hold dear is being taken away from us, where, whether it's our health or relationships or just our ability to get out and go for a walk. And it's a moment like that, isn't it? How are you finding it? I, I know for me, it's odd. I, there is a sense of grief for me that I'm preaching to you this way rather than in person. It's much nicer to, to spend time together. But I do think that it's not just that things are difficult is the pruning. The reason God does the pruning is, as, as Jesus says, so we will bear fruit. Sometimes that process, though, uh, can be painful. One of the uh, C.S. Lewis Narnia Chronicles uh, tells the story of Eustace Scrub in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. That's, that's the name of it, isn't it? Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Who's, who's read that? Anyone? I can see the hand. No, I can't see your hands at all, of course. Um, but this is how Eustace describes a moment. He had really lost the plot, had become full of himself, and a manifestation of his losing the plot is that he'd become a dragon. And he tried as best he could to get rid of the dragon exterior that was keeping him trapped. And he was this deep sense of sadness and he knew he just couldn't get rid of the dragon exterior. And, uh, this, and he describes to his friends what the, what the experience was like. He says, this is what the lion, and of course the lion in this is Aslan, the representative of Jesus, this is what the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You'll have to let me undress you, is what he said. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate, so I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. I think we are in a time of pruning, as Jesus said. We are in a time where some of the dead stuff, some of the stuff we have reached for to find life in, is actually being taken away from us right now. And God is at work in his church in this moment and also in us individually to produce what Jesus calls here fruit. Now, of course, there is another point in the Bible where the Apostle Paul unpacks what fruit is. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is one of those other memory verses that lots of Sunday school kids do. Our energy kids focus on the fruits of the Spirit last year. And uh, Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit. This is in the NIV. You may have memorized a different translation. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's interesting that for the first time in Tasmania's history, the law has forbidden us from attending church services physically. 
And Paul was writing to the Galatians at a time where there were moments in which the, the Christian church was being forbidden by law, both Jewish law and Roman law, different, different moments of persecution and waves of persecution. This idea of not being able to gather together in a public way is not a new thing for the Christian church. It's just a new thing for us in Tasmania. And what Paul is saying here is, as God is at work in us, his work isn't to produce a whole bunch of people at a, at a church service. No, his work is in you and in I on the whole thing of fruit, the whole, that our character would more represent who Jesus is. Jesus is inviting us to step into a wholly different kind of life than we can achieve on our own. If you've got your Bibles, read with me verse 3 to 6. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I think we all need to hear this. I don't know how you go about it, but often I can think uh, that somehow I've got to work hard to earn God's favour. I've got to work hard to be a good boy so God will like me. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I am at work in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something you work up or work out. It's something that comes out of your relationship with me. On your own, you can do nothing. He's saying, you are clean, not because you've worked hard, but because of what I have done and what I've said. I think we all need to hear that, don't we? Even in this moment, uh, it's a bit bewildering because many of the things we normally do to feel connected to God have been taken away from us. And I think it's a real test for us. What does it mean now to throw ourselves into Jesus' arms rather than throw ourselves into self-absorption when the things that we sort life through are no longer available to us? i got a question for you right now. Is Jesus the source of your life? I don't care whether this is your first time at a church virtually. If you've never been through darken the door of a church and this is your first time or whether you've been at church for 90 years. You know, it's possible to regularly attend a church, but to be seeking life in other places. I think Jesus is inviting us and reminding us that it's not about trying to earn favour, but just to, to come to him. And he is the way, the truth and the life.
as we talked about last week. So I just want to take a moment now of either commitment and say, and for those of you who are watching for the first time and saying, what's he talking about? There's something in my heart that kind of knows what he's saying is real, but it doesn't really yet make sense. Or whether you've been at church for a long time and you kind of know, oh, look, I, there was a time in my life where I, I, my life was focused in and around Jesus, but now it's been crowded out with a whole lot of other things. I just want to take a moment to pray for you and invite you to pray with me that Jesus would uh, come and by the power of the Holy Spirit help you reconnect or connect possibly for the first time to the life that is only available through the vine, as he's talking about. So let's pray. So Jesus, I just want to pray right now for my brothers and sisters who are watching this right around the state, also around the world, we know. And if you are somebody who for the first time wants to say yes to Jesus, I just invite you to pray this really simple prayer with me. Jesus, I acknowledge that I don't have what it takes to find life on my own. Can you please come into my life and help me be attached to the life of the vine you talk about in this chapter of the Bible? Help me have your new life, Jesus. Amen. And if you're someone who has been at the church for a long time, but you know other stuff's been crowding in and this moment is kind of showing all the different things that have been crowding in, can I ask you now to have the courage to pray with me? Jesus, I confess. that so many other things have crowded you out of my heart. I confess that I have played a religious game for too long. And I want to again come back to your love and enter into all you have for me. Restore my relationship with you, Jesus. Amen. Can I encourage you, if you've prayed either of those prayers, please don't keep it to yourself. Please let us know. If you're on the northwest coast, uh, just let Pastor Owen know. You can find him at Wynyard Baptist Church, uh, and you'll find the contact details uh, on their Facebook page, or you can contact us here at Citywide on the website there or in the north of the state, contact Rodney. And we want to be praying for you. And if you don't have a physical paper Bible, we'd love to organise to get one to you. It may be a little complicated at the moment. We've got a few. And we, but we, there is something about, for me, having a physical Bible that is important. And uh, if you don't yet have a physical Bible, please let us know. We'd love to get you a Bible. Uh, but in the meantime, the Version app is a good, free way to go. And uh, you can join any, any of the reading plans that are on. There's a whole lot, lot of stuff. So Jesus says in this passage of John 15 that he is the source of life. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
hang on, what did Jesus say there? He said, ask whatever I wish and uh, it'll be done for me. You little beauty, can I have a Ferrari? That's actually not what he's saying, is it? See, what he's saying just before that, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, what does that mean? It means as you let Jesus into your life, he will actually change what you want. You won't want to build the whole world around your ego anymore. You'll want to love. You'll want to step out and care for your neighbours and your friends and your family. And you know what? Jesus wants to be with you on that adventure. So you watch what happens. Your prayers will gradually become more and more and more powerful as you remain in him and his words remain in you. He goes on in verse 8 to say, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus' strategy to make a difference in the world wasn't to teach his people how to talk. It was to teach his people how to bear fruit. To teach his people that as they open themselves to his life, then their lives will speak much more loudly than any kind of oratory ever could. And uh, I think this is a moment, isn't it? I think this is a moment where our lives can speak. And there's no guarantee they will. As uh, I have mentioned before in other contexts, I'm really challenged by... Uh, the generation before my grandparents, uh, the, my great-grandparents' generation. You see, they had just gone through uh, World War I. It was horrific. And then the Spanish flu hit. And you know what they did? Largely, they became self-focused. And they started to, rather than care for their neighbours, they started to care just for themselves. One of the reasons we don't know a lot about the Spanish flu is that people were embarrassed about how they acted. They did stuff like fighting over toilet paper rather than caring about their neighbours. It would be really easy in this moment not to show ourselves as Jesus' disciples, as he says there. In this season, you are going to be feeling the absence of many things that... that you have used to bring you life. And some of them are fantastic. Some of you are really going to be missing playing golf or going for uh, uh, just doing exercise in the gym or going to the movies or going out to a restaurant. None of those things are bad in their own at all. Some of them are just fantastic. But if you look to those things to give you life, that actually becomes a problem. And as those things are taken away from us, those things that for many of us were where we got our sense of meaning, meaning and identity, and for many of us that was through our work, and, and for a lot of people, even our work's been taken away from us. Jesus is actually telling us, giving us instructions for how are we to act when the going gets tough, when things are not simple. Do you know what he says? Let's look at verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Do you know that? 
do you know that God loves you? Now what does he say? Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, rather than getting your bearings from your job, from your relationships, from the food you eat, from the, the, the exercise you do, from the externals, get your bearings from living as a person who knows they are loved and remains in that place. See, life is so much easier when you know you don't have to work stuff up in order to get people to love you. God's love for you is unconditional. And I think we all need to hear that right now. Because for many of us, a lot of the things that gave us our sense of okayness have been taken away. And Jesus is saying, that stuff never really was going to work anyway, is what he's saying. The one thing that's going to work to help you really know you're okay is the truth that you are loved by God. And you know what? Jesus' love allows us to live from a place of joy rather than self-interest. Have you ever met people who, who you really know love Jesus? One of the things that typifies them is this, there's a, a quietness to their spirit. There's this sense that you, there's, a, there's almost a, a sh, I, don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but there's a couple of people in our church here at Citywide who are, who are a real gift to me. Uh, the names are David and Maureen. Uh, David was a pastor in New Zealand. And they are people whose prayer life I just trust. I know they, they love me, but they don't even love me. They love uh, all kinds of people. Uh, David tells a story about how he, he gradually uh, befriended one of the, the checkout chicks at the local supermarket. And he, he kept letting her know he'd pray for her. And uh, a year or two later, she, she came up and gave him a big hug and Maureen looked at him a bit strange. And she told him that she'd become a Christian because his life spoke. There was a joy. There is a joy about David and Maureen. <laughs> They're meant to be staying at home right now, except for essential things. I mean, they obviously haven't been forced to stay at home. I was chatting to David uh, this week and he said, well, what we have done is we've gone around and put a note, a handwritten note in everybody's letterboxes just to let them know if there's if anything we can do, uh, if, if we can be praying for them. Or, and they were just saying some of the, remarkable responses they, that they've had from their neighbours, including one, from one neighbour who just talked about how, how lonely she was. See, the reason I'm saying that is one of the things that typifies both David and Maureen for me is a deep sense of joy. Joy isn't what you get when you're you know, feeling happy. Happiness is another thing. My dad would often say happiness is what happens when circumstances are going the way your ego wants them to go. That's happiness. Joy is another thing completely. It's this deep sense of okayness because you know you are in the right place at the right time 
being loved by God and able to walk into the adventure he has for you in this moment. You know, Jesus was the most joyful person who ever lived. Often we think of religious people being kind of, I don't know, starchy. Now, Jesus was full of joy. And he says to us, he says, I've told you all this so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Do you know what would make a difference in this really complicated season? Is a bunch of people who are joyful. A bunch of people who genuinely love their neighbours and who could connect from a place of joy, not a place of drivenness or fear. We don't need to be scared because the God who holds the universe in his hands, the one who flung stars into space is telling us he loves us and he's got us covered. We can live from this place of joy. Now, one of the truths Jesus says is it's not all about us. This is what we, he goes on and says, as we, as we open ourselves to Jesus' love, we find ourselves called to love other people. Just as most people who bump into David or Maureen feel loved, you are called as you discover just how much Jesus loves you. You are called to love others. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus makes it clear, this is what love looks like. This is what love looks like. Often Hollywood movies sell us a cheap and uh, watered-down kind of love, which is about the tingly feelings. That's not love. Love is being willing to lay down your life for the sake of someone else. Right now, there is, we are all being presented with the question, are we going to love? Are we going to be people who love or are we going to be self-centered? Right now, I can tell you that there are people in your street, in your crescent, in your apartment block who are feeling scared. There are people already who shouldn't be going to do grocery shopping for themselves who are feeling desperate, who are trying to work out how do I survive? There are people who are starting to realize that, yep, we are so grateful to live in a country where the government can provide support, but they're looking down the barrel of some real financial challenges. And they need people who will love them right now. I'm not calling you to love because it's the right thing to do, though it is. Jesus is calling you to love because he loves you. And he demonstrated what love looks like as he stretched out his arms on the cross. We're going to celebrate this week what love looks like together on Good Friday. And I really encourage you, please make an effort to be with us 10 a.m. Friday morning. 
as we connect all over the state and all over the world to engage with communion. This simple little symbolic meal that shows us what love looks like and calls us to be people who will lay down our lives for our friends. It's interesting, Jesus now pivots as we come to the, the end of our passage. And he, he tells us something that is almost a bit surprising. You know, Jesus is calling us into the unexpected adventure of this moment, not as his servants or workhorses, but as his friends. Do you hear that? The Son of God sees you as his friend. He says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from the Father, I've made known to you. This is a, an unusual time. I don't know how many times I've heard people say words like unusual, unprecedented, never happened before. Have you heard a lot of that? I have. There goes Siri. She's trying to tell me how many times it's been said. Uh, it really has been a, a, an unusual time. But you know what? None of this has caught God by surprise. He knew it was coming. And Jesus isn't sending us off saying, you go and sort this out. You know what he's saying? You're my mates. I'm with you in this. I'm not sending you off on the adventure by yourself. I am with you on this adventure as your friend. Let's be honest, Tassie needs the church, but it doesn't need the church buildings. The church buildings were never the church. They kind of the infrastructure. The Tassie needs people who know they are deeply loved by God and because they're loved by God and can live from that place of knowing they're loved can love others. I know uh, the government are worried uh, right now. They know that there are families who are doing it tough. There is a real concern about domestic violence in our communities right now. I was talking to uh, one of our state politicians this week and, and she said to me, Matt, if you could just encourage the churches right now to, to look out for their neighbours, to look out for the, the families that are, have suddenly looked like, you know, they're disappearing in an unhealthy kind of way, if there's sort of yelling happening, but more than that, if, if, if we could just lift our eyes, imagine what would happen. If every, every person who said they're a follower of Jesus in Tassie made it their responsibility to love and serve their family, to love and serve their friends, and to love and serve their actual neighbours, what percentage of Tassie do you think would be looked after in this season? Well, on average... Uh, uh, the, the typical person has, has a, 
has a social network of about 200 people. Uh, and uh, there are, depending on how you measure it, but let's just say uh, regular church attenders in Tasmania, about 5%. So we would care for the whole state twice over if we simply did what Jesus was inviting us to do and live his love in a way that made a difference. I think God's calling us to an adventure, but you need to hear this isn't an adventure that we have to work up or work out. This is an adventure that Jesus calls us to with him through his love. And we are, like never before, going to need to lean into him. Don't look to your pastors to do it all for you. We're in this together. We are the church. The church is never a building. And we are called to bring Jesus' love to our state and to our world. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thanks for your words to us. Thanks for the picture of the vine and the branches. And, and so often we will try and work stuff up ourselves. And you say, apart from me, you can do nothing. I think that actually is really good news because, uh, you know, we all actually know that. We've, we've all had cracks of doing stuff in our own strength and it doesn't get us real far. There are lots of people right now looking for hope. Jesus, can you help us in this moment? Have a fresh revelation of how much you love us and help us bring your love to our beautiful state. Can you help us care about the single mum down the street who's doing it tough? About the business owner who's in danger of losing their business? Can you help us care for the little kids who are riding their bikes up and down the street even though they may not even be meant to be doing that but they're, they're just desperate to get out of the house jesus can you help us can you help us lift our eyes beyond ourselves we don't want to repeat the mistakes of our great grandparents in the spanish flu we want to be people who love in this moment because we know we are loved Thank you for this Easter week. Thank you for everything it represents. Help us catch a fresh glimpse this year of the true nature of the miracle of Easter. I pray on Good Friday you will help us understand the cost of the cross and the freedom it brought. And on Easter Sunday... Can you help us join hand to hand, metaphorically across the state and across the world to celebrate your resurrected life and how that changes everything? We know we need you, Jesus. We know we can't do it on our own and we don't want to save us from trying to do life on our own. Call us into your heart and into your love. We ask this in your name. Amen.